Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this week's episode of The Geek Buddies! <gasps> hey! That was a kind and of a that, opening. That should have been I know, right? <laughs> Listen, man, I gotta tell you, now that, like, whenever in the comments, whenever yeah. somebody in the comments is like, guys, that opening is so cringe. Yeah. A, you're not wrong. But B, we're not stopping. <laughs> No, <laughs> and and I will keep doing it weirder yeah. and weirder and cringier and cringier, and I don't care. All Last you're doing check. is throwing fuel on the fire. <laughs> it's like telling Shannon good. that his jokes are cheesy. Oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> they they just get worse. That is making me feel blue, oh, like boy. the cheese. Oh, all right. Anyway, oh, so hello and welcome everybody. It is week's episode of the Geek Buddies. A lot of fun to be had here. Uh, we're going to be talking about some new trailers that dropped this week. We're going to talk about um, uh, we're going to talk about some Comic Con news. We're going to explore what's going on with Pixar, and of course, these two gentlemen who are immersed in the world of animation. I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation from people who actually work in the industry of animation rather than just floating talking heads like me and so many others. So, going to be a good uh, conversation for us to have on that as well. And our main topic. How can it not be is the massive controversy over the Ooh. AI opening for Secret Invasion. I don't know if you know this, but a show debuted attached to that intro as well. And that's not we're not going to talk about the show on this uh, uh, episode because we already did the review yesterday. So it's up now if you want to watch our spoiler review of Secret Invasion episode one. It is up now, but we are going to dive into that intro in our main topic because it's clearly causing a lot of tongues to get wagging. But uh, let's introduce ourselves first. I am the outlaw. John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Outlaw Nation. I am Michael Vogel, uh, a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And my jokes about cheese are, they're not great. They're just Gouda. Shannon. I mean, you could have said, <laughs> they're not graded. They're Gouda. Oh, you, mi you, you missed an opportunity. <laughs> and this I feel, I feel dirty. I feel dirty. <laughs> This is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and animation writer where you can see some of our current work with some really great punny jokes on Netflix right now with Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, seasons one and two with season three coming out next month on YouTube. 
but interesting, interesting. A lot of stuff happening in the world of these two gentlemen, for sure. Um, all right, so this is the way the show works. For those of you who are new, thank you very much for taking a chance on the Geek Buddies. We find new people who find our show every week, which is so great. The way we do this thing is each of us brings up a Geek News item. We talk about it amongst ourselves, and then we take a big break, jumping into our main Geek News item, which we already talked about, the AI intro we're going to uh, jump into. So um, I think it is Vogel who starts us off. Vogel, what do you got? Sure is. So look. Pixar's Elemental came out last weekend, and if you are not aware of that, apparently you're not the only one, because it did not do great. Uh, It is the lowest box office opening of a Pixar film. Uh, It earned um, 29.6... Wait... Yeah, 29.6 million in ticket sales and over the four-day domestic opening weekend, 33.4 million. Um, yeah. It is the lowest opening in Pixar's history aside from Toy Story, which opened at 29.1 million over the three-day Thanksgiving weekend. But that was a really long time ago. And when you adjust that for inflation, that's about 50 million. And that's also the very first CG animated movie and nobody knew what it was. And then it launched Pixar. So... It did fine. Um, so Elemental, kind of a you know really ho hum opening, really bad for Pixar, and especially after the past couple years of Pixar. You know, I mean, Onward came out. Um, I believe it was about a forty million dollar opening weekend, yeah. which at the time people were like, "Oh, that's not huge for Pixar," but it was right when the pandemic hit. And you'd be like, okay, maybe that's fine. But then Pixar had a string of Disney Plus releases because theaters were closed. So you had Luca. You had Turning Red. Um, But then when Lightyear came out in theaters last year and was supposed to be Pixar's really big return to the big big screen, it did not hit the way that they wanted. Um, Some people really loved Lightyear. I think John is a fan of it. Um, Some people did not. I think it is very disappointing. Um, But, you know, all in all, it's just we are a far cry from the days when Pixar was the this studio can do no wrong. Every movie that they make is magic. So that's not great. Now, one little ray of I don't want to say hope, but uh, potential silver lining um, it earned Elemental, despite some like mediocre reviews and people not like bowling the doors over. It has an A cinema score mm-hmm. um, and really stellar exit scores on post track, and so it could have legs at the box office. Uh, you know, it's and also opening internationally, it beat the Flash in South Korea. Like it is doing decent, and a lot of articles are bringing up Puss in Boots, The Last Witch. The Last Wish, uh, which opened really, really small, um, a 12.4 million opening over Christmas weekend in theaters, which is a bomb. But because of really, really strong word of mouth, it just never left theaters and went on to make 480.9 million at the worldwide box office and is a huge hit. So TBD, we'll see where Elemental goes. It might be one of those rare movies that sort of just hangs on throughout the summer. There's not a ton of animated movies coming out for the rest of the summer. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. But regardless, I think we can all look at the past couple years of Pixar and say, it's not where it was. And so the question is, why is it not where it was? Can they get back? Can they ever get back to where they were? Or what are the things that Pixar has to do? to get back on track for Pixar. Gentlemen, what do you think? Uh, Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum because I have liked pretty much most of the stuff 
that Pixar has released. So I'm in a weird position where I actually like this stuff. I liked, I didn't like Elemental 100%. I liked when they focused on the immigrant experience because there was personal stuff that I connected to that they I got really right in the movie. And I thought that was great. The love story just didn't work for me at all. I didn't buy it. Wade was way too easy about everything. It just bothered me. But overall, it just didn't 100% work. But there were sweet moments, and there was some of that Pixar magic in certain moments. So, okay, it's disappointing. But these other films, again, I'm the anomaly. I liked Luke. I liked Soul. I liked uh, um, Lightyear. I liked these films. They really took Oh, me I to- forgot about Soul. Thank you. Yes, yeah, Soul also they, came out. Yeah. Yeah, they took me to different places, and I was thoroughly enjoyed by it. Uh, by them but the thing about elemental is interesting because they hid what the film was actually about which is a commentary on the immigration experience a commentary on urban planning and how outlier communities are shoved to the side so that we can create these big monoliths and like it just ignore this shit ignore this shit especially when we just had reports coming out that what a third of the residents in la are homeless or has the highest rate of homeless of any city in la in a, in the country so it's just kind of an interesting place to be to not and, and maybe they were running away from it being called woke because of what happened with stuff in the past over the last couple of years it's been it's a politically charged climate certainly we've seen ron DeSantis and other people go after disney and you can't like ignore that i know some critics and pundits want to ignore that i don't know how you could ignore that 75 million people voted for the alternate candidate so that lets you know there's a large contingent of people who might actually be listening to these complaints against disney whether they're real or not and affecting whether they go plus the price of a ticket has gone up price of food has gone up the price of uh, drinks i mean the stuff from parks and rec is no longer a joke about the medium and the <laughs> real shit when you go out there and so it's very expensive so if you're hearing negative reviews or if you're seeing the score that's not that strong you're not gonna go or the story doesn't stand out to you i think elio is gonna be real interesting coming up as well because elio is focusing on you know become multicultural cast is that going to affect how people received that film as an animated film too so it's going to be real curious as this goes forward with pixar but i'm gonna throw something out that's really unpopular ever since john lassiter left and i know he left for legitimate reasons the bloom has kind of been off the rose at pixar and i wonder if maybe they just haven't found their next lassiter who isn't inappropriate with women to step in and take that spot and lead them and be bold and daring and visionary going forward nothing against pete doctor i love pete doctor but clearly it doesn't seem to be working yeah you know i mean luca i thought was such a fantastic movie luca is one of those films that i'm like it is it is really a shame that this did not um get put out in theaters i thought luca was Mm -hmm. one of their best movies that they've done in a long time um you know next year as john said they've got elio coming out they also have the sequel to inside out i believe right i believe they're coming out in the same the like the same kind of time span like one's in the spring one's in the summer um yeah i mean i feel like with elemental and granted i haven't seen elemental i mean it's one of those movies that i am meaning to go see but right now there was a time that it didn't matter if you had kids or not a pixar movie was something you wanted to go and experience um, in in a big theater, like uh, like whether it would be a 3D showing or or what, like you just wanted to you wanted to experience that. And I think when they started to lean a little more heavily on their sequels, I think that started to recede a little mm. bit. Um, I think Finding Dory is a perfectly fine, perfectly fine movie. 
Is it as good as Finding Nemo? Of course not. The Incredibles 2, for me, was a pretty big disappointment. I was really, really surprised that the same creative team who put that first one together are the ones who put the second one together. So it's going to take something, it's going to take something breaking through to get your regular moviegoers who are not parents um, back into the theaters, um, you know, because just based off of kid, you can't do it just with families alone. You got to have everybody come back in. Um, you know, looking at you know their 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 films, their their filmography of the last I don't know eight years. I mean, the la- their last big big movie that was original was Coco, and right, Coco yeah. was one of those movies that you it wasn't just families like i think prop i think potentially because you know you were leaning into a different culture i mean you're tapping into an audience that may not have traditionally gone to a pixar movie Mm -hmm. and because it was such a good story and it was just so endearing um i think that that turned into a really good date night movie so i mean maybe it doesn't seem like elemental was that again i can't i can't say because i haven't seen it yet but in the in the day and age of where you have your spider verses you have your Super Mario Brothers, which, you know, I don't think the three of us were like, it was fine. Um, you need something you need something really special to stand out because just being pretty animation just doesn't do it anymore. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I I mostly agree with John. I think that yeah. I, I think I liked the romance a bit more than he did. But I do agree that Elemental is a very uneven movie. I think that there are moments that I'm like, this is great. And everything about fire, uh, the fire nation, I was going to say, but that's more Avatar. But like the fire, <laughs> the, the fire people uh, and the immigrant story there, I thought that was really affecting. And I thought it was really right. And I also do think that they shied away from that in the marketing for exactly why you said in these yeah. like hypercharged political times where every movie becomes a political battle on Twitter. I think they were like, let's just focus on the romance. Let's focus on the romance. And I think even within the movie itself, that's a bit of a problem. I think that they have this really this potential for this really great immigrant story, but then they're telling sort of a fine romance, but the romance doesn't feel like it's really integral to the bigger story. And then you have like, oh, there's a dam and we need the water that the water's going to break and make like and it's like it all feels a little bit fractured. Like it's not quite there. And I think I think there's two things uh about where Pixar is at. Um First, to your John Lasseter point, this isn't my Mm. two points, but to your John Lasseter point, because I think it deserves to be said, look, the dude deserved what he got. He was handsy. Yes. He he drank a lot. He drank a lot and he was handsy. From everything I've heard, he drank a lot and he was handsy. And that is not appropriate behavior. It doesn't mean he's not a visionary filmmaker because he clearly is. Like, and that sucks. Like, it sucks when you have people. It's great when really, really horrible people are also really shitty and untalented. (laughs) Because <laughs> it, it makes it easy to be like, but it's hard when people are problematic in their personal lives and very, very talented professionally. Yeah. And I'm not saying that means you should welcome him back and hand him the keys and be like, just don't drink. I am saying, though, that that is when you are going to examine why Pixar is where it's at. Uh, even though I think make getting rid of Lasseter was the correct decision, I do think that that has clearly affected them. And I think one of the reasons is like Pixar used to be when they first came out, um, they were the holy shit animation studio. Like when Finding Nemo came out and there was this cute, this cute animated movie with fish that all of a sudden opened with this 
tragic death of these children and then this single father who lost his wife having this one son who was the one child that survived even though he had a janky fin and it was this highly emotional movie people were like holy shit incredibles was the very first movie that got human characters that didn't look like 8-bit video game characters practically like like they were the revolutionary studio and they were trailblazing and i think they were hungry and they were young and they were willing to like take risks and try different things now they're not the young and hungry studio anymore they're the established studio and i think they do play things a little bit safer and i think that to shannon's point coco is an unabashedly uh authentic movie about a very specific ethnic group yeah, and it worked. And I think that had they leaned into this immigrant story, had they gone full, like we are, we are using the elements to talk about the immigrant situation that we are all dealing with and how we feel about immigrants and had just been unabashed about it. I think people on Twitter would have lost their minds and half the half of Twitter would have been like, I'm not going to go see this woke ass movie. But I think it probably would have been a stronger movie that would have had more conversation about it. Yeah. You can't change who you are. In term- no, I don't mean like, of course, you want to go to therapy. But I mean like people know the brand of Disney, right? And they know what Disney's about. And uh, and just because some people, and I could argue you could use woke, are woke now about Disney's message about, you know, universality and everybody being equal and having equal opportunities now. You can't stop being who you are just simply to chase the dollar because then the people who are your Fucking people are going to turn on you too. And then you'll be out of both because those people you're never going to convince to come back into the tent no matter what you do. So so just really foster the audience you do have. Lean into it more. And then eventually, if any of those people see the light, they'll come toward the tent again. And that's that. So it seems to me it's weird the way they're playing it. But I will say this. It's an interesting track from Peter Sohn to Peter Sohn, right? Good Dinosaur was the first film he directed. And it was the first one other than Cars 2, that universally was kind of disliked by yeah. Pixar fans, right? And then you had Finding Dory, as, as you guys said. Yeah, that was people liked it. It was fine. It was still a weird feeling like it felt like Nemo a little bit too much. And it, okay, fine. Cars 3 redeemed the Cars franchise. Then you get Coco, which is original. You both have spoken about. Incredibles 2 did incredible numbers at the box office. So people were excited again. Then you heard Toy Story 4. People were like, did we need it? Even after people saw it, they were, I don't know if we needed it. Kind of ruined it a little bit. Then Onward, then Soul, then Luca, then Turning Red, which was wonderful. So to me, the quality hasn't necessarily gone down. I just wonder if the tastes have changed, the demand has changed. And we talk about this with superhero fatigue. Has Pixar just knocked it out of the park so much that people go, if you're not going to meet me here at 450 feet, I'm not going to show up for anything that's a single or a double or a triple. And I wonder if that's a part of it now, too, uh, with the way they're looking at things. I think they maybe, as much as you're like, we all want Pixar to get back to where they were, I think maybe they hold on to the past a little bit too much. Like, I think, mm. again, when they came out, their humor and their jokes, they were like, this is this is adult humor. This is really, yeah. really funny. Now you go look at Elemental and you have a lot of puns. And there's some very funny puns um, yeah. but about, about I'm, I'm there. Oh, there's very about you know the wind, <laughs> the wind and the water and the this and the that. Yeah. But then you go over to across the Spider Verse, which is like this is a movie and this is an animated movie like I've never seen before. Right, right. And that's what we used to say about Pixar. It's like I feel like they need to just start really pushing their own envelope and being like, let's if any if any studio right now Sony Animation 
is pushing into we're making animated movies that are for adults that yeah. kids are also going to go to. Right. And with the Ninja Turtles movie coming out at the end of this year, it's like, oh, well, that looks really, really different. That looks amazing. This looks really, really cool. And with Pixar, with, with to your point with Elio, yeah. it might be a super beautiful, touching, emotional story, and it might hit on bigger elements. But based on the trailer, it's like, okay, here's a kid who gets to go hang out with aliens. Yeah. It, it looks cute. It looks good. I will absolutely go see it. But you think about our reactions to the Spider-Verse trailer, or you right. think about the reactions we all had to the Ninja Turtles trailer, or the reactions even to Nimona, which is coming out at the end of this yeah. month on yeah. Netflix. That's how we used to feel about Pixar movies. And now you're like, oh, that looks cute. I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens as it goes along with Pixar. And of course, we'll monitor it. But yeah, something's got to change. Certainly, I think Pete Doctor came out and spoke about it and said, clearly, we have things to reevaluate here. We've got to look at all this stuff and maybe find a new path forward. So maybe they are having these internal discussions about all of this. And Disney's not uh, immune to this either with how um, Strange New World crashed and burned as well. So th there's a lot to be worked out there on the animation side for Disney, for sure. Um, let's move on to some Comic-Con news here. A big, big news that dropped this week, and that is... Um, Marvel Studios will be skipping Comic-Con's Hall H this year. This is an exclusive from a number of people. Uh, Umberto over there at The Wrap broke this and Deadline broke this as well. So they are not going to be part of uh, a hall at Comic-Con. They're not going to hold Hall H. The three of us have been in numerous Marvel Hall H panels, and it's, some, it's usually the cherry, the big, big cherry on top of the cake of Comic-Con, but they are not going to be there. And, of course, this is all coming amid the uh, writer's strike, the possibly impending uh, SAG strike, the DGA is still voting on their uh, deal that they uh, uh, um, negotiated with the AMPTP. So is this, first of all, what do you think about Marvel not showing up at Hall H? There'll be, there'll be a, uh, uh, they'll have a stand there in the main convention floor, but they won't be doing a presentation. What do you think about that? And is this the beginning of a number of studios starting to slowly trickle out and say they're not going to be there. I think HBO and Universal also said they're not going to have panels, but they might have a, a stand there on the convention floor. So, gentlemen, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, that's this again, it's it's unfortunate, but it's not a shock. I mean, mm. uh, it, if the actors do strike, the actors will not show up to promote something right. like exactly. that's that's just a part of it. I mean, and the same with the writers, um, if this director deal that they negotiated, if it doesn't go through, like, again, it's not a shock. And and as far as Marvel, like Marvel, this is not the first year Marvel has skipped Hall H. Mm. Um, they did it in 2018 after Infinity War had come out because they didn't want to talk <laughs> about in game like they 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 were they were in no rush to get out there like they they were in the middle of a victory lap um and also feige has been quoted as saying that we're not going to go unless we have something to show and so with these delays that 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 have happened um you know they're they're you know they're, they're, there's just not going to be anything everything is kind of getting kicked down uh, the can is getting kicked down the curb a little bit so i think when we have a better idea of what is actually happening because these delays could go on longer. I mean, depending yeah. on how long these strikes go. So, you know, I I think we all were there sort of at the peak of studios and networks showing up. And then when those sort of uh, very big Comic-Con present, a very big Comic-Con presence, a very big panel, when it didn't necessarily translate to box office receipts for, for you know, some of the things, um, they did sort of pull back a little bit. 
Um, so it's not it's not a shock. I mean, I don't think I don't think this is a sign of things to come. Uh, I think this is a very unique situation that the studios are kind of finding themselves in this year. So they're probably not going to do it now going forward um, with Marvel specifically. Like they do also have D23. Um, that is something that they have used in the past, that they have announced a portion of projects at Comic-Con, a portion at D23. I don't I don't recall if Lucasfilm has ever gone to Comic-Con. I, 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 you all might be able to correct me here, but I feel like Star Wars has always kind of been D23's, D23's thing. Um, so again, not a surprise what Comic-Con will be like. I mean, this could be a year where comics are really highlighted yeah. at comic-con yeah, <laughs> because those writers those artists i mean if when you go on to the main floor i mean artist alley um where a lot of the a lot of artists you know are able to showcase some of their stuff we've you know we've all gotten some artwork from them in the past i've got some right behind me that i got last year um you know you you have felt the squeeze that the actual comic book industry has felt at comic-con has as hollywood has kind of moved in so this could be you know the return of the comic book industry um as far as the social aspect you know we talked about this before we started recording but my favorite thing about comic-con is hanging out with my buddies and just having just having uh you know a, a little a little mini vacation and so even if you know we don't get our big Hall H experience that we've gotten in the past, I think this Comic Con is still going to be great. Yeah, Mike. I mean, they've paused production on Blade, on Thunderbolts, on Daredevil, on Wonder Man, um, and this is an issue that's popping up now with this with Comic Con. And then we've got the Jonathan Majors case, which had a hearing just yesterday or two days ago. Teno Chuerta now has been accused of sexual assault, and he is pulled out of a production that he was it was um, he had signed on to. So. There's a lot of drama. Phase five didn't start out well, even. And then we're just about to talk the Secret Invasion AI intro. Like, it, this is only like three or four weeks away, Comic Con. So the idea that Feige would have to possibly field these kinds of questions from reporters or maybe have a random kid go up there and ask a question that puts him on the spot about Jonathan Majors, maybe this is something, or phase four or phase five, maybe something that they want to avoid. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, look, I think, I think it's sort of a two tiered thing the one is yes look with the writer strike going on with a potential actor strike with everything going on like you don't want to plan a big panel for comic-con and then be like well nobody's coming it's like i i hate i hate planning a party or a movie night and then wondering if people are going to show up and this is like the worst possible version of that so like you don't want to do that uh so like hedging your bets in general and then yeah marvel right now specifically where they are in this moment in time like yeah. probably makes sense to just put your head down and be quiet like go work on your shit. You got you got some actor issues that you need to work out. You got a phase 5 that's not really working. You got you got a lot of things going on and you are not where you were. And it's time to take stock of that and 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 and, and particularly at your point with all the delays happening, it's like what are they really even if they were going to show up, what are they really going to show? Uh an extended look at the Marvels? Yeah. Like everything is on hold so there's no footage to show you know like they're like so like you can like there's not a lot of there there so mm -hmm. even if there was no strike uh i kind of think maybe they would still hold off on this year and say look we're gonna show you stuff when we have stuff to show but i just don't think there's a ton right now 
And do you think the universal HBO thing is interesting? Because, I mean, we're, if you've been reading the news this week, Zaslav is essentially having a fire sale at Warner Brothers Discovery with all of their stuff. So maybe this is also something they look at as a waste of an expense, HBO uh, and HBO Max or Max, whatever they call themselves this week. They might be uh, looking at that going, yeah, this is another way to cut costs. We don't need to have people showing up for this stuff. Universal might be looking at that as well. Like, is this... If these strikes happen, look, we're after June 30th, SAG can strike at any time. So um, will this will we start to see more of this start to happen and more of these studios announce that they're not showing up since they can't have people other than maybe their executives show up? And those are people that not a lot of people want to show up for unless your name is Feige. So do you think that's a situation that's going we're going to hear more about studios dropping out and not presenting a Comic-Con? Um, I was an executive, and I think I was very entertaining on my. Panels. You were very good. Thank yes. you very much. Uh, no, I look. I think that even the strike <laughs> stuff aside, even the strike stuff aside, I think that Shannon is right. Like we sort of have lived through the arc of Comic Con. Like I feel I like Comic Con yeah. in the few years before we all started going was more comic book focused, with yeah. a couple studios showing up, and then we lived through that heyday. Like we lived through holy shit, everybody's showing up. It's a whole thing. And now we're kind of coming down. And I don't think that that means that it's all going to just dry up and shrivel. I think Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con is a geek institution. And to Shannon's point, even without all of the panels there, just the giant community that shows up and the way that the entire gas lamp quarter sort of uh, changes. It's different. It's different than other Comic-Cons where you go to like just the convention center and the convention center is great. Like the entire city feels like Comic-Con. And so I think that yeah. even just going down there for the weekend as we're going to do and going and checking out comic book stuff and looking at all the amazing art and just, you know, like just nerding out with people about stuff. It's going to be fun. It's yeah. going to be a good time. Um, and I do think that studios like Marvel, like Universal, like HBO once Zaslav goes and does whatever he needs to do in his life. Um, I think when they have big things, when there's these huge big things, I think they still will show up at Comic-Con. Yeah. Maybe not to the degree that they used to, but I think that we're not, it, it, it's, we're in that same place as we were a couple years ago during the pandemic when everyone was like, oh my God, movie theaters were all gonna close because everybody has shifted their attitudes and no one's gonna go to the movies anymore. It wasn't true. Same thing here. It's like, yes, this year is maybe gonna be a little light. It's not mean Comic-Con's over. It's true. Well, we'll be happy to have you all in my city. So uh, we'll look forward to you guys showing up. For sure. All right, let's, let's take a quick break. We'll jump into uh, our other news topic and then our main topic here right after this. Hello, Geek Buddies fans. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a warm thank you to our sponsor, Marquee TV. Their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture. That's right, Johnny. I've explored Marquee TV, and I've been amazed by their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. It is a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. Right now, I'm in the middle of watching the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of The Tempest, and I've also got my eye on that Shakespeare masterclass taught by Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, Shannon, and speaking of the RSC, I watched Christopher Eccleston's performance of Macbeth last night, and I'm going to jump into Kit Harington's performance of Henry V from the Donmar Warehouse. Imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertip. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents that's right three months for only 99 cents with the code buddies 
B-U-D-D-I-E-S. Simply visit Marquee.tv and use the promo code BUDDIES to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. Get three months for just 99 cents. Visit Marquee.tv to start your journey into the world of arts now. Use code BUDDIES. Explore the extensive library of performances on Marquee TV today and keep up with the latest in art streaming by following at Marquee TV on social media. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Do you hear my voice raspy voice? I love it. Um take it away. With trailers, trailers, we're only talking to this week. And to start off, it's not even a proper trailer, but Netflix held their Tadum event last weekend, showing off a bunch of their stuff that they have coming down the pipe. And one of the things that they showed without a being a proper uh, proper trailer it was a little behind the scenes featurette of rebel moon this is the next opus from Zack snyder so this is sort of a uh i don't want to say it we'll say a, an homage to uh akira kurosawa's seven samurai it you know this is uh zach snyder's uh star wars essentially yeah. um he has assembled a a a very impressive cast including Charlie Hunnam, Anthony Hopkins, Jaiman Hansu, uh, Sophia Batella from uh, Kingsman and The Mummy. Um, but visually, this thing looks stunning. Like, it, no matter how you feel about Zack, Snyder, Zack Snyder's films, um, you can never argue that he has an incredible eye. And the thing that we have seen with this, this is, you know, this is his original production, an idea that he says he's had for 20 years, Um it, it just looks like a Zack Snyder movie. Now, you know, he he had his first foray with Netflix with Army of the Dead. And a lot of folks really liked that movie. I mean, there was, you know, there. I think it, I thought it was a little overly long, um, but some really impressive visuals and some a lot of fun moments, even if I didn't think it altogether was a great film. But something that you see as we're talking to the cast in this um, and, and, you know, this is, again, a behind-the-scenes feature, so they're going to be very diligent about what makes it in. Um, the actors that work with Zack Snyder really seem to love working with Zack Snyder. They just really, really love this guy. And if passion is uh, the metric that you're basing this, also, ba- basing this off of, it looks like it's probably going to be through the roof. But, gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you. Johnny, let's actually start with you. <laughs> what, did, what did you think of our behind-the-scenes featurette of Rebel Moon? As the biggest Zack Snyder fan on this panel. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I liked the, what we got. Very interesting. There were shades that evoked other sci-fi stuff I'd seen in the past, certainly. There was some Riddick stuff that came screaming back into my mind as I was watching stuff. There was even a Madonna video that came into my mind from watching this stuff. Bedtime Stories, I think, is the song. So there was a lot here that was really interesting. Um, But they start off with almost, I think the second shot of it is Zack Snyder standing in front of a green screen. So that lets you know they don't have a star, right? And like uh, for his other ones, uh, was it uh, Day of the Dead or whatever it was called, the one on Netflix where they're stealing the zombies in the bank and all of that. 
it was Batista. Batista was big enough to be the star of that, and that's what you sold it on. But here, you have a bunch of people who have tried to be in leads, but if people have really sh- – like, Hunnam is the new – uh, what's his face from John uh, Mars from the Mars film? He's the new K- K- Taylor Kitsch. Like people have said for years, Hunnam, 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 but nobody goes to see Hunnam movies, right? Sylvia Batella is not a lead. Ed Screen is not a lead. Yes, you've got Hopkins and Hansu, but those are you know, usually you add on as kind of giving some gravitas or, or put an anchor of respectability and nobility in the, in the, in the show So or in the film. So it's going to be real interesting if this one sells. And I think it's actually really smart to put it on Netflix because – I don't know that the box office would necessarily be there for a movie like this because there's not a big star. That being said, Snyder is your star. So if Snyder is enough to sell the film, if Snyder is enough to get people to watch views, especially with the new metrics that Netflix is implementing, then they'll have done what they needed to do here. Look, I thought The Mother was terrible, and it got, what, it was like the second or third highest rated film on Netflix that got watched. So clearly Netflix... You know, it's all about getting the eyes on their content and people sitting at home are more willing to try stuff that they wouldn't normally pay for because in their minds, they see it as kind of pseudo free. So I understand that. So for me, though, the look of this looks fantastic. The design, the the special effects, all of it looks really cool. So I'm hoping it works. I'm hoping it's good. But I don't necessarily think this is the strongest talent of actors to bring together to get the point across. So, uh, Mikey, what do you think? I'm on board. <laughs> Shannon said it best. Like when you say, when you say <laughs> this is Zack Snyder's Star Wars, which is clearly is what it is. Yeah, yeah. True. I'm like, great. Let Zack Snyder do his Star Wars. Don't let Zack Snyder do Star Wars. Like I'm like, I am great. Like, like Zack Snyder can go for the rest of his life and make the epic huge movies that he wants to make. He he is a he is an amazing yes. cinematographer like his movies look beautiful he knows how to work with special effects and visual effects like he's great the actors who work with him love him like yeah. he seems like he's a really genuine good guy who loves what he does his aesthetic and his style of storytelling not necessarily mine so like but i enjoyed like i the vegas zombie movie i i didn't think yeah. it was perfect but was i had fun. a blast watching it yeah. And this looks like something that I will watch and I will be like, let me, let me count the number of issues that I have with this story, but it looked great. <laughs> and it's because it's its own thing and it's Zack Snyder's vision. I can appreciate it as opposed to if Kathleen Kennedy came out and said, we're continuing with episode 10 directed by Zack Snyder. I would like pass out and die. So I'm, <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm so happy that he gets to do his star Wars over here. And I will watch it, and I will enjoy it, and it looks visually crazy, and it's not my Star Wars. So <laughs> I think this is a win-win for everybody. Here's a <laughs> here's Michael looking at uh, Zack Snyder uh, getting ready for Rebel Moon. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he's not doing Star Wars. Um, yeah, there you go. All right, shit. Well, before uh, Santa comes down your chimney this year, Zack Snyder's going to get there first because this comes out December 23rd this year. And so just a couple of days ago, and again, this will be another one where we get Roka's reaction first because Roka's okay. going to be a little more positive. <laughs> we got our first I, trailer. Well, I was very positive about Rebel Moon. I am excited right. to go see this movie. 
I misread that. You are 100% right. <laughs> but I know what you think about the next one because we got the trailer for Craven the Hunter. Oh. This is coming from director uh, JC. I, I don't know if it's Chandor or Candor, uh, but this is the director of Triple Frontier, uh, Netflix action movie that had Ben Affleck, Charlie Hunnam, Pedro Pascal. Um, really interesting trailer. I mean, this is Aaron Taylor Johnson starring as uh, starring as Craven the Hunter, Russell Crowe playing his dad. Um, uh, oh my gosh, the name I just dropped dropped it. Uh, Alessandro well, from Nivola. The Sopranos, Nivola, um, playing the Rhino. Um, so this is uh, Sony's third attempt at dipping into the Spidey villain pool, and as a trailer, I will say this looked really cool. I was like, this is a really interesting, really interesting trailer. I think Aaron Taylor Johnson is, or, uh, is a very uh, captivating lead in this. Um, it just makes me go, huh? Because like, is this the best use of your Spidey, Spidey resources? Hmm. Um, if they are trying to build up to a Sinister Six that has Michael Keaton's Vulture, Tom Hardy's Venom, Jared Leto's Morbius, and now Aaron Taylor Johnson's Craven. Um, it just seems like a weird long road to take to get to a movie that there might not be an audience for. Um, really, but but as a trailer, again, I think this looked this looked fun. This like this looks like it has a lot of potential. Yeah. I also thought Morbius could could have been fun as well. But John, let's throw it over to you. What did you think of our first look at Craven the Hunter? Listen, as someone who's not a fan of the Venom films, and I, I didn't mind Morbius. It wasn't great, but I didn't mind it. Uh, I was waiting for a train wreck here, and I actually got a way better trailer than I had anticipated watching this thing. I think Aaron Taylor Johnson, who I questioned whether he should be Craven coming in. I think he's got that uh, nature bro uh, approach to it, so I'm cool with it. You know, I like the, the vibe of it. I like the feel of it. The the Red Band trailer had the violence in it, which I was pretty cool. And I know you see some blood splatter, and they're going to fix that up in the final post. Yes, the CJ looks a little weird with the blood and stuff, but him biting the nose off. Yeah, but this is he's a full-on hero here. He is not a um, he is not a what do you call it? He is not an anti-hero here. It's very clear that his father is the villain, his father runs a criminal organization. He wants to stop his father from doing these things. His brother thinks he's like his father, but but he's the counter. So I like that there's a balance here. And Nivola as the rhino is very interesting. I mean, having him come across like this, this being a formula that he's taking as opposed to that contraption that Giamatti was wearing. I'm 100% on board with this, and I like the vibe. And we might find out that Craven the Hunter might be their focus for this Spider-Verse. And it could be a twist or a turn because everyone's been going like, how are you going to get together with the Sinister Six if you keep making all the Sinister Six nice people or people that you like? It's an interesting turn. But overall, I, I liked it very much. And the director, um, oh, God, I, I forget his name right now. but um, J.C. Chandor. J.C. Chandor. I, I enjoyed J.C. Chandor's work. And most violent year with Oscar Isaac was good. Uh, margin Call was good, I thought. Um, at Triple Frontier, uh, maybe a bit too far. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do with this film. Might be the best of these Sony Spider-Verse movies, judging from the trailer. And for my counterpoint, Michael. Vogel. <laughs> I mean, it looks like the best out of the four of them so far. Like, Ooh. it is a trailer that exists that is like, yeah, that looks like an actual movie. Like, it has a it has a clear story. It looks fine. Yeah, it's just a who cares? <laughs> like, like this is this is like this is where I kind of got with this trailer is like you watch it and 
And look, maybe this is a little bit of residual, like, feelings after watching The Flash and kind of where we are with superhero movies in general. But it's like, and this also ties into what we were talking about with Pixar. It's like, yes, you decided to take Craven and make an entire movie around him. And it looks like you did it. But why did you do it? Like, why, like, why are we, like, we're, we're, we're all trying to be like, okay, this could be good. Maybe this is the one, like, it's good. But like, nobody, ha- nobody was clamoring for a Craven movie. Yeah. Nobody was like, you know what I really need? I need Craven on the big screen. Like, it just feels like you're trying so hard to do something. I think it's really interesting that Sony right now is the best of Spider-Man and the worst of Spider-Man at the same time. Oh yeah, like, and and I just I'm like they on the one hand are telling one of the greatest Spider-Man stories that for a lot of people that has ever been told, and on the other hand they're trying to make this thing happen. Like it is not the Sinister Six; it is like the sad looking six. Like it is just like come on, like are we really excited about these characters coming together to fight a Spider-Man? But we don't know which one. Like the whole thing is just so fraught. Um, that my two favorite parts of the trailer, AKA my least favorite parts of the trailer were Craven getting covered with spiders. Yeah. Cause they were like, guys, Spider-Man. don't forget he is a Spider-Man villain. <laughs> <laughs> There's spiders in this movie. And then the rhino thing at the end, I cannot, I cannot what? like, like just because Paul Giamatti in a giant mecha rhino suit was the stupidest thing ever doesn't mean turning the rhino into a mutant. Do you know why they call me the rhino? I was like, get out. Just get out. Everybody get out. Like, I – so, like, yeah, like, okay, so we got – yeah, we got we got Venom. We got Morbius. We yeah. got Craven. We got the rhino. Uh, we maybe have Michael Keaton's vulture based on a really well – poorly thought out post credit sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Scorpion, cool. right? We still have Scorpion, don't we? Or is he in the MCU? Well, he's in the MCU. Uh, yeah. yeah. But it's like, but I mean, that is the thing. Like, with all in, in and, and I think this is where we are with well, Madam Web. Think... Madam Web's coming, Mikey. Don't forget. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Oh, God. How could I forget? I <laughs> marking my calendar now. But I think that, you know, like, and this is what we're talking about with Pixar, but I think it's true of Marvel right now. I think it's true of DC right now. And I think it's true of these Sony movies. It's like, when we talk about superhero fatigue, that's clearly not really a thing because when something like Across the no. Spider-Verse comes out, everybody runs to go see it. Nobody's tired of superhero movies, but I think people are tired of movies that are just coming out because. Yeah, yeah. And because comic book movies are so big and we have these connected universes, you have a bunch of executives like pouring through back issues of comics, whipping them out, being like, guys, Condiment King, could that be a thing? <laughs> Maybe Condiment King. And then you're like, okay, cool. Ryan Coogler is directing Condiment King for DC. And then we all are like, oh, maybe it'll be cool because it's Ryan Coogler. And we go through this whole process. But then you're like, nobody really cares. So it's like, give us a reason for these movies to exist. Despite Like, it's not just it's connected to a bigger thing. And it's not just, well, we need to get all these villains out so that they can fight Spider-Man. Like, and this movie looks like it's fine, but it doesn't look like it's necessary. We shall see. Shall Johnny, see. anything anything to reply with? No, I think you're, I think you're right. They haven't told us what their plan is. And the more of these films that come out, the more frustrating it becomes. Because we're like, we know you're connecting these motherfuckers. Tell us what you're fucking doing. Because it's a bit unfair to not give us the game plan and then expect you know to, to show up. You know? This is what they're, they are pulling. 
the full lost. <laughs> lost told us for five, five True. and a half seasons that they had yeah. a plan. And then at the end, they're like, okay, we lied. We didn't have a plan. Other than, <laughs> other than abusing everybody behind the scenes, we didn't have any plan other than yeah, we, yeah, we were we were horrible behind the scenes, but we didn't we didn't know why that polar bear was there either. I'm not gonna lie to you. Somebody in the writer's room said it would be cool, but like we didn't know why it was there either. We didn't specify the plan was gonna be on screen. <laughs> we didn't expect all you to figure it out in season one. So we don't want to do that. Uh, anyway, right. well, the hunt starts October 6th. Craven the Hunter. Birthday month. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break and uh, we'll jump into our main topic here right after this. Beep, pop, mm. boop, bop, beep. Yeah. Good stuff. Yep. Great. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into this. Uh, and it's fair. <laughs> There's no musical intro for this one. I think we have a strong conversation to be had here about the AI intro. This was a big deal. I did a live video on it yesterday. Uh, or not a couple days ago, rather, on on the channel, and uh, talked about this because there's a lot of people who are it's split. There are a lot of fans who actually have been voicing uh, their uh, uh, like of this AI intro for Secret Invasion and the style and the mood and the atmosphere that is conveying uh, the usage of AI is the big controversy here. Of course, now with all the um, with the SAG uh, about to possibly go on strike and having issues with AI with the Writers Guild already on strike for seven weeks, going into its eighth week now, having issues with AI, even the DGA talking about the usage of AI and how they're able to use it in their movies. A lot of this is very topical. And Marvel now coming in with an AI intro here for their secret invasion has split the fandom in half. Uh, and there's a lot of battles going on about rights, about artistry, about uh, what this signals about a multi-billion dollar corporation not giving a shit about the artists and using an intro like this uh, that insults people. Uh, one of the uh, visual artists working on it said that it's a, a slap in the face to people. Stephen Ford, who's a friend of mine, we follow each other, we're he's a director. He said it's a slap in the face of every Disney artist that has come forward. But I myself, personally, let me throw my two cents in. I defended this usage because it's, to me, I see it as the right usage for the right show. A show that is supposed to unsettle you, not make you, or, or have you feeling like, who is who is a scroll who's not a scroll? What's going on here? And they took advantage of a controversial technology that people are topically talking about today to hammer the point home even further with their viewers and their fans. So, I understand the anger, but I also understand and defend the usage. Ali Salem, who is the director of all six episodes, said he wanted to use it. So it's artist choice. It's an artist choice to use it. So, gentlemen, what are your thoughts about this controversy? What are your feelings about it overall? Well, I think a lot of it kind of has to do just with timing. Um, yeah. In that... With the writer strike going on and AI being a part of it, it's not the entirety of it, but it is a part of it. Um, with the impending actor strike, which again, it is a part of it. Sure. And, you know, that article from a few months ago about the um, overextension of VFX artists, yeah. I think using a sequence like this, um, even though AI is a tool and AI has been used before, um, I, I think that's kind of the big sticking point. I mean, does that mean you kind of scrap the whole thing and have artists do it? Now, you know, a firm, 
was hired yeah, to do this. Yes, yeah. So it, it's tough to say. I mean, you know, for folks that have worked on the show, um, I, I understand that point of view of like, wow, we did this. We worked on this for, you know, a year, however long. And basically the last thing that would be done, you, you decide to turn over to a computer um wholly to this to this program so i do i do get it watching the sequence had someone not told me it was ai i i wouldn't necessarily have known um so yeah it's 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 a really it's a it's it's a complicated topic yeah. because it's not gonna go away i mean yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's 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 like any sort of you know technological progress that is made um there will be resistance to it at first and i think it's kind of all how you use it and i mean vogel might know more of the specifics than i do about what the um implications of the writers the writers guild their their um specific issues with it um but yeah i think a lot of it just kind of comes down to timing i mean i think this comes out a year ago I think people would be like, oh, that's awesome. Like you would have some folks would be like, ah, this is this is a risky first step. This is yeah. kind of how it starts because it always starts small. Yeah. Um, but as of right now, it's it's just kind of difficult to say. Uh, I thought I thought the opening credits were cool. I do think the whole thing like, well, we used AI to unsettle you. It's like, eh. Okay, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily. I, I feel like that probably didn't get 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 run up the ladder before whoever said that said it. <laughs> no artist can do this, man. No, we've got to do it. AI. <laughs> I mean, you look at the past, like some really interesting opening credit sequences. Like I, I think of Netflix's Daredevil. Like that was you know done by human artists. Um, are you saying they couldn't do this? I don't necessarily believe that, but. As as tools become more proficient, they are going to be used. So yeah, uh, and just to be clear, um, generative AI has been around since the 1960s. Uh, it was the basis for what we saw, what we see now with Google Assistant. Oh, sorry, Amazon uh, chat messaging, all of that. It was when these networks got involved in 2014. These uh, generative associated networks, which are GANs, that's the thing that what we see now with what with like the Lenza app. And these other things and what we see AI being used here in this situation, that's when it's become a real uh, source of anger. Chat GPT is what people have been using to write scripts and whatever. So, Mikey, you know, you're, you've been on a, no, a number of sides on this uh, in terms of exposure to it as an, as an animation guy, as a writer and what have you. So what are your thoughts? And as a Marvel fan, so what are your thoughts on this uh, yeah, I mean, look, I've been in, like, obviously, you just go to Twitter, you can see everyone's opinions. But I mean, I've been yeah. on text threads. I've been on text threads with writer friends and with artist friends and animation friends. And everybody talks about it. Everybody's freaking out about it. I've had friends who have used chat GPT. Is it chat GPT? Chat yes, chat GPT. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chat GPT to sort of be like, put a prompt in and see it. And they're like, oh, fuck. We're all going to get fired. We're there. This yeah, is, yeah, it's yeah. A, and like, we're not. Right. There's like, you're like the human part of creation is still going to be necessary um but it's gonna change things yeah like and that's and, and i think like with the with the writer's strike right now and everything nobody is like aside from people on twitter nobody is like 
burn burn AI to the ground, it's Skynet. We have to save ourselves from the machines. Everyone is grappling with how it's going to get used and what the ramifications are. Yeah. With the writer strike, the primary issues are credit and residuals. Mm -hmm. Like what 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 they want to make sure doesn't happen is that a studio uses Chat GPT to sort of pr pump out a movie outline. Hey, hey, robots, moon. <laughs> destruction rebel nuclear war uh snowmen and like get like an outline for a feature and then hand it to a writer and say fix this and then the writer doesn't get full credit because they're like well we already used the ai like so writers want to go look if you use something and hand it to a writer that writer is the first draft that writer gets full credit that writer gets full residual so you know it's and i think it's the same thing on the art side, I mean, a few weeks before this happened, there was a thing going around about how across the spider use across the spider verse employed AI in its animation production. Yes. Everybody was like, "How dare they do this?" And animation people came out and were like, "Guys, the AI was used to do something to make the artist's life easier." Across the spider verse employed more human animators than any yeah. other animation production in recent memory. This AI tool was used for this thing. Um, and so I think, look, Shannon's right. Timing's not great. Like with Marvel yeah, being like, 100%. with everyone, with everyone going crazy about AI in general, the writer's strike having AI be a prominent part of how do we grapple with this and all of the news about visual effects houses, not having unions and being just completely decimated by all studios, but Marvel in particular, the timing is not ideal, hmm. but when you look at this, and as I said on Twitter, uh, when you look at this main title sequence that Method Studios did, that has a bunch of human producers and artists and AI technicians working on this thing, yeah, and an they animal. didn't just go. They didn't just go. Here's the music. Scroll, White House, Sam Jackson, enter. Like they utilize AI as a tool, but when you look at how the stuff is moving to the music and how it goes from one shot to the other and all these things, that is a human hand guiding this thing. Now, that might not sit great with some people and some people might be like, that sucks. But the problem is whether it sucks or not, it's here. Yeah. It, it's not, we can't turn back the clock. Like it exists and it's gonna get used. The thing that it really makes me think a lot of, I've been thinking a lot in the past 24 hours about Phil Tippett. Ooh, okay. Phil Tippett is a visionary guy who, has, who was at ILM from day one. We all love Chewie and 3PO uh, playing whatever, I forget what the game is called that they always play in Star Wars, but with yeah. the, with the little monsters, the Phil Tippett did those monsters. Phil Tippett did the Tauntaun in Empire Strikes Back. Phil Tippett is a motion, a stop motion genius who did so many things. Sabak, that's the game. Nope, right? Sabak is the card game. God damn it! Go ahead. Um, but like Phil Tippett did all of these things that like for the generation that we all grew up in, with ILM becoming this thing. Like most of the stop motion things that we saw growing up that we thought were awesome, were Phil Tippett was behind them. Phil Tippett was going to make those dinosaurs for Jurassic Park. Like he had done the tests, the mm. dinosaurs were happening. And if it hadn't been for a couple guys at ILM going, I bet we can build a T-Rex in CG, he would have done it. Yeah. But they did. They built that T-Rex in CG and they did something that everyone was like, we didn't think you could do that. And Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy were like, that's what we're doing. Once you had a CG dinosaur, it was all over for Phil Tippett. 
Like that wasn't going to happen. It doesn't mean that stop motion has gone away. Right. Leica is doing amazing stop motion stuff. It just got, it got used in a different way because we have CG to do this thing. CG also got overused. We had about 10 years where every fucking person yeah. in the world was making a bunch of CG animals and aliens and monsters in the movies and it all looked like garbage. But, you know, like, so that's part of what it is. Like, we couldn't go to the point where, like, and, and when you, if you watch the ILM documentary, it's really bittersweet. Once CG happened at ILM, all of the props, all of the practical effects, all the people that had spent years building and modeling and painting all the practical effects, that department got smaller and smaller and smaller. And some people retired from the business and some of those people moved over to CG. It sucks. It's not great. But that was what happened, and that's the industry that we live in now. And so I think AI, it's going to be much the same. Like, it's not going anywhere. Nope. So we can all go crazy and say, oh, how dare they? This was horrible. But, like, I think, in my opinion, the way that AI was used for this opening seems like a way that you would ideally want to use AI. Yeah. What? Uh, also, sorry, John, I was just going to yeah. say with the Phil Tippett, um, Allegedly, I can't remember if he actually said this in one of the interviews or not, but when he saw what they were doing and the results of that computer generated test, um, he was the one who said, I think I think we just went extinct, which then Steven Spielberg gave that line to Alan Grant in Jurassic Park. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, Dejaric is the name of the game, by the Dejaric! way. Dejaric! Yes. Dejaric. <laughs> I'm wearing a Star Wars hat, guys. <laughs> um, but no, this is... Um, this is such a fascinating uh, thing to explore. And ever, you know, and since I did the live show yesterday, I've been reading a bunch of articles, reading and going back and forth with people on Twitter like crazy. It's a, it's it's very illuminating. It sounds frustrating, but also illuminating to see how this is all happening. Because to me, I understand people's anger, and you're right. But I think they took advantage of the timing. I think they they could have easily scrapped this intro, possibly, and be, oh, dude, this is not good. It's been seven weeks. Could they have done something? quickly with other artists maybe something generic maybe uh because it's about the show it's not about the intro right so maybe they could have put something together but i think and i and i was quoted in the post on this and the washington post was really nice little thing for me yeah i i know i know you drop this name but anyway uh, i i <laughs> I, you know, I said that I think I think they did this on purpose and, and people are like, oh, it's your pet theory. Yeah, it's a pet theory, but they, nothing happens without a lot of thought and consideration at Marvel. And I think Marvel purposely did this to little bit fuck with people, to little bit get people a little more upset or, or paying attention to this. Remember, sometimes people's angry reactions make them watch something more than they normally maybe might have. And so they wanted to take a chance. Part of being bold doesn't mean bold and everything is good and you all love it. Part of being bold is I'm going to take a chance. Let's see what fucking happens, but I want to take a chance. And so I would say it was bold of them to use AI and risk this kind of backlash. And I know a lot of you who have dog-eared paperback books of, you know, Catcher in the Rye in your back pocket will be upset that I would say a multi-billion dollar corporation is bold. But at the end of the day, they are bold to make a decision like this and risk the bas backlash, especially with phase four being so um, uneven, phase five not starting out great, the Jonathan Major stuff, Dennis Huerta. They wanted to be bold with this series. They wanted this to be their and or. And so they took a chance with something like this. Now, 
you may hate it. And I totally understand and respect people who hate it or whatever. But Michael brings up an excellent point. Study the history of CG. Were you just as pissed when you saw the T-Rex in Jurassic Park, knowing that practical effects were going away in all these departments and all these people were going to lose jobs? Did you feel that way or did you marvel at the dinosaur? Because guess what? You were a step along the process for AI to show up. People want to be vacuum-like when they approach these things, but every single usage of AI, every single celebration of CG has led to this moment. And yes, you could say, well, CG had a human being. Yeah, a human being put this thing together as well, and artists were credited and whatever. So it may not be the way you liked it, but that's how it was done. And I get, I totally get, as as a member of SAG, I get the union's frustrations and angers, but I also think you guys are right. And I'm glad you guys see the same thing. This is inevitable. It is, it is going to happen. It's a matter of making it happen in a way that works for creatives and artists and doesn't cost too many jobs because it will cost jobs. It just about minimizing the effect. Yeah. I mean, the other example that really comes to mind and it, and look, it's not, it's not all great. Like yeah. is like CG animation. Mm. I mean, you know, we're sitting here, we're talking about mm. across the spider verse. We're talking about elemental. Great point, Mike. CG animation really hurt 2d animators. Some 2d animators moved over to CG. Some 2d animators never right. did it. And it is undeniable that we don't make as many 2d animated films like every major animated film that comes out now is CG. Maybe it uses some 2D elements. Maybe it uses some painterly uh, effects to it, yeah. but it's a CG animated film. Now, 2D still thrives a lot in um, in television animation. Right. There's still a lot of 2D work and flash work and harmony work happening in that world. But, you know, Princess and the Frog was the last Disney 2D animated film. And after that, it's been CG all the way. And so that that does bother me at times. I grew up with 2D animation. I love 2D animation. I would love for a studio to come out with a gorgeous 2D animated feature film that everybody freaked out about. But I also do love CG animation and I, I really enjoy all the CG animation we have. So it's, you know, your people's opinions about people's, I'll put it this way. People's fears and concerns about AI are warranted. 100%. And people saying this could be really bad for artists, as John said, if you look at the history of cinema, you're not wrong. Talkies. The same thing happened with talkies. Yeah. Yeah. The challenge is, just like CG animation, uh, just like CG visual effects, once you're able to do it, it's here. So you can't just go, I hate all of it. It's horrible. This is the devil. You have to go, okay, like, and like the Writers Guild is doing right now, you have to go, okay, this technology exists. We're going to have to grapple with it. Yeah. Here's how we're going to protect our writers so that they can work with this technology in the future and that they're going to get the full credit and that they're going to get the money they deserve and that they're still going to be able to do what they need to do to tell great stories. Shannon, any final words on this? Yeah, I mean, every industry, every industry changes. I mean, just in the almost 20 years I've been here, the way that acting has changed. I mean, you know, I I try not to talk about it a lot, but I had a hot streak for a little bit. Uh, That streak has cooled significantly. And part part of it is the the um, advent of taping at home. Now, I prefer to film in a room. I like to read 
with a casting director because I think there is no substitution for a chemistry that you can develop with another person being physically in the same room. Um, For theatrical auditions right now, sure seems like that's not coming back. So I can either sit there and get angry about not being able to go in or I can figure out the best way that I can do it at home. And I have made progress. I ain't there yet, but there are certainly some of my friends who are actors who have really benefited from this. So yeah, I mean, like anything, it's a tool. And the hope is that the unions put those protections in place now to protect those artists because in the past, the unions haven't done it and the artists have suffered. Right. No one has let down unions more at times than union management and union presidents. Being a SAG member, I will tell you that going through some of those negotiations. I mean, hearing Ginger Gonzaga saying that they offered her a $300 guest star spot for a show. Ginger Gonzaga, ladies and gentlemen, as a SAG actress, that tells you that that's even allowed is because SAG was, has been so weak in negotiating at times. So we shall see how this all goes down. And, and certainly uh, it's a very controversial topic and people can have very strong feelings about it. Um, so we honor all of them, right? Whatever our opinions are, we honor all of them, uh, whatever you guys are feeling as well. We may not agree. It may counter. It may go back and forth. But it doesn't mean you don't have a right to express them for sure. Um, all right. There we go. That's our episode of uh, The Geek Buddies. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies, on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media and hear some great puns, you can follow me on Twitter at Shannon underscore McClung, on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddies. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel and accidentally hear some puns, it's at MKToon. And if you would like to follow Mr. Roca and find out what other major publications have quoted him, you can follow him at The Roca Says. You know what? What time? (laughs) Eight years, for God's sake. Anyway. <laughs> well, whether whether your pun taste is grated or gouda, uh, we have everything here for you. Uh, and here is what you can do for us. Uh, smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all his amazing content. Leave your comments below. I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're going to get into a really intense discussion about AI below because that's what's happening everywhere so leave your comments about what you thought uh, about elemental about craven about ai let us know all of that below uh, if you are listening to us on a podcast take a minute to leave us a comment leave us some stars helps us go up in the rankings so more people can find us and as always the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video post it on your socials, send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies that's right and don't forget our secret invasion spoiler one review is up now on the channel and uh, michael and i will be reviewing episodes one and two a Star Trek, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds that will hopefully be up later today if you're watching this as we're dropping it on the Friday. All right, y'all are amazing. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.